0: where we're going. So here's how I was going to kick things off. And I think this does get us into the topic. This isn't the Christian life suffocating. Um, There's a couple of quotes actually from from a poet and from a philosopher who said, yes, yeah, the Christian life is suffocating. First is a poet named um, Swinburne um, who, speaking of Jesus, uh, who lived in Galilee, he says, thou hast conquered, O pale Galilean. The world has grown grey by your breath. (laughs) That's bad breath. Mm. He's calling Jesus a pale Galilean. So that's already suggesting like kind of sickly, unhealthy, uh, not full of life. Um, You've conquered and the result of your conquest, oh pale, sickly Galilean, Jesus he's talking about, is to turn the world grey. your breath, is Dementor Jesus. Um, And then here's from the famous um, atheist philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche, a couple of quotes from him. Uh, First one, Christianity was, from the beginning, essentially and fundamentally, (laughs) life's nausea and disgust with life, merely concealed behind, masked by, dressed up as faith in another better life. Another quote from Nietzsche, the Christian faith from the beginning is sacrifice, The sacrifice of all freedom, all pride, all self-confidence of spirit. It is at the same time subjection, self-derision and self-mutilation. Is the Christian life suffocating Swinburne? Uh Uh-huh. You have conquered, O sickly pale Galilean. Is the Christian life suffocating Friedrich Nietzsche? Yes, it is self-derision, self-mutilation. When when you talk to people about Christianity, religion, that kind of stuff, that... There's roughly two types of objections. There's kind of facts, objections. Is it true? How do you know if there's a God? Hasn't science disproved? You know, is there a conflict between science and Christianity? Is it true? And then there's, is it good? Is it, you know, it may be true, but gosh, it would be bad if it was true because it's, you know, it turns the world grey, you know? And this is more that second type. It's more the question of, um, you know, is Christianity good or not? It's that kind of question. And a lot of people's questions probably are more that to begin with. Isn't Christianity, like, bad for you, not, not a good way to live? Um, I mean, the two kind of overlap, though, don't they? In the sense that someone might say, I don't like Christianity, I don't want to live like a Christian, so I'll then look for reasons to kind of confirm that, you know, look for reasons to say it's false. Or someone might say, look at all the problems with living as a Christian. Surely that's evidence that it's not true. Yeah. Now, you could do the opposite too, couldn't you? You could say, well, if it's true, if God does exist and Jesus is the Lord and he made the world, then I expect that it would be good to live in, in accordance with the creator. Or um, you could similarly say, hey, look at all the ways that Christianity is good. That should suggest that maybe, it possibly could be true since it has these you know." So, it's, so that's the kind of area we're in. Is it good? You know? And does that suggest something about... Uh, is it true or not? Um, in a second I'll get you to discuss at least three aspects that I could think of to this objection. Um, one of those is that Christianity is like dull. It's kind of, it's, it's uncreative, it's life-sucking, it's drab. That, that's one version of this. A slightly strong version is that Christianity is, um, is narrow and, and unhealthy, the Christian morality is somehow not good for people. It's it's constrictive or um, or worse, harmful. Yeah, that's a second version. And then a third one has more got to do with organised religion, which is sort of to say that a community of religious people is in some way oppressive or negative or controlling. So I'll get you to discuss any or all of those for a while. And we'll, we'll, we'll just read the room. If you run out of things to say, we'll come back as a group. But. If you're really into it, we'll, we'll run that for a while. And you can explore any of those three. Before we do, let me comment on uh, John's Gospel um, briefly. Um, in some ways, John's Gospel um, picks up the Psalms reading we had that talks about a life of blessing, a life of following God's way that's blessed. It's like a tree flourishing by water, growing and living and bearing fruit in season. Um, uh, that's a life of knowing God and living his way as opposed to a life of chaff that just gets blown away by the wind and burned up in the fire. You know, that kind of a vision of blessing gets picked up in here in the idea of, of shepherds leading to good pasture. So John's Gospel, it's um, one of the biographies of Jesus. Um, throughout it, actually, Jesus says, I am lots of things. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life and so on. Well, here he says, "Well, I am, well, firstly, the gate for the sheep, and then I am the shepherd for the sheep." So he, he mixes his metaphors a little bit here. Um, so he's talking to Christian, le- oh, so Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, ten verse one, and he's saying to these Pharisees, "Very truly, or Amen, Amen, um, is a, is another way that could be translated, Amen, Amen. I tell you, Pharisees, if you don't enter into the sheep pen by the gate, well, he says, you're like a thief." or you're like a robber and you're not actually good for the sheep at all. You don't love the sheep, you don't care for the sheep, you're not interested in the sheep, you not want to kill them and steal them. You don't belong there. The way into the sheep pen is, is through the gate. Um, and when you're the, the one who is the shepherd of the sheep, verse two, a, a rightful, caring shepherd of the sheep, then verse three, the gatekeeper will open the gate and the sheep will follow into, through the gate uh, and be led by name. Uh, when he's brought in, verse 4, all that is his own, he goes on ahead of them they follow him because they know his voice. They won't follow a stranger, not like the thief, not like the uh, the robber, uh, but they will follow the good shepherd. And then Jesus says, I am that gate. <laughs> You'd expect him to say, I am the good shepherd. But first he says, I am the gate. It's interesting, isn't it? What does he mean by saying, I am the gate? Well, it's like saying, I am the way. I am the The entrance into God's way, God's blessing, God's life, God's goodness. Later on in John's Gospel, he says, I am the way, the truth and the life. In a sense, any of his I am's are saying a similar kind of thing, whether it is I am the light of the world, or I am the resurrection and the life, or I am the gate for the sheep. They're all saying I am the place where the blessing from God can be found. So if you want to find the blessing from God, you come to me through me." That's the, that's the big claim Jesus makes. It's the exclusive claim he makes. That he is the place through which the sheep find blessing. Right? I am the gate for the sheep, verse 8. Uh, all who came before me, he says, were thieves and robbers. Uh, the sheep didn't listen to them. I am the gate. Now, he doesn't literally mean all there were good prophets and leaders and teachers before. It's a, it's a generalising statement to say um, how, how special and how exclusive and how perfect he is. Um, I'm the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved. They'll come in, they'll go out, they'll find pasture. The thief only comes to kill and destroy, the the false teacher, the the person who doesn't bring God's truth. But I have come, here it is, verse 10, to have life and have it to the full. So going in through this gate, following a good shepherd, coming into pasture means finding life, full life, true life, good life, blessing life like the psalm life following God's ways, enjoying God's presence, God's company, like a tree planted with a good source of water, a good source of sun, thriving, bearing fruit. That's the life that Jesus promises to those who enter through him as the gate, who come to him, who seek life and blessing through him. So Jesus is saying to his listeners here and to us now as we read these words written, he's saying... He is actually a source, not of a suffocating life or a pale life or a self-denying, self-mutilating life, but actually a life to the full. That he's the way in which you enter into all the good things that the Creator God, who made a good world for goodness and life and joy, can be found, can be found in Him. Then he says he's good shepherd, verse eleven. So the metaphor now shifts from being the gate, the way in, to being the shepherd who also does the leading and the providing and the protecting. Yeah. So first he's talking about the way, uh, if you like, and now he's talking about the, the kind of the protector, the provider, the, the king. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The high hand is not the shepherd. Uh, doesn't own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. And the wolf attacks the flock and the scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I, I'm just doing my job. You know. I'm not getting paid enough to, um, to lay down my life for the sheep. Whereas the shepherd, this is my livelihood. These are my, the ones I care about. I'm going to look after them. Yeah, Jesus is saying, he's like that. He picks up actually a big Old Testament theme where kings are called shepherds, where the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23. There's a lot of Old Testament, uh, the first part of the Bible, that uses the idea of shepherd as a description of a of a leader, of a ruler, of God, even himself. Jesus is picking up that kind of idea. I'm a good shepherd. I'm not just a mercenary. I'm not just a call center. I'm not just a hired hand Um, on a temporary contract with low pay. No, these are are my sheep. Uh, I care for them. I will lay down my life for them. And he means that actually literally. Uh, He continues speaking along those lines in verse 14. I'm a good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as God the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And he goes on to say how he, he can choose to lay down his life and he can choose to rise again to new life. And in saying that, Jesus is pointing ahead to the end of the gospel where the way in which he guarantees life to the full to anyone who will come to him and through him, the way he guarantees life and protection and blessing to his sheep is by him dying on the cross and rising again, which removes human guilt, God's judgment, brings God's forgiveness and God's blessing and the hope of eternal life. So that's that's where the gospel is looking ahead to, that actually Jesus in himself and through his death and resurrection gives life, life to the full, It's not just escaping from hell because you're afraid of God um, or just obeying rules so you have someone to give rules to your life, but it's peace with your Creator who made you, with God, the deepest source of all meaning, uh, and the solution of your deepest problems in terms of evil and sin and guilt and, and fear of God. Those things can be dealt with. That's why Jesus came, to save, to bless. All right, so with a little bit of that in mind then, I'll, um, I'll get you roughly, I mean it's basically six, six I think we'll roughly divide us up. So maybe one extra person from this side join the, the other side here. Um, and, uh, and just around those three questions, what are your thoughts or how would you respond to or what have your other people said to you about? Three ways of thinking about that question. Um, so the first of those, you might want to have someone write this down on your phone or on a bit of paper. So the first of those is Christianity, the Christian life, he, um, is dull, uncreative, boring, limiting, that kind of thing. What are your thoughts about that? What have you heard others say about that? And how might you respond? If you're a Bible reader, you might even have some verses you want to share. Um, second one is a bit more serious, that the Christian life is actually unhealthy or harmful or, um, or something like that. Again, what are your thoughts about that? How have you heard others say that? How might you respond? That kind of thing and then the third one is um, that the christian community is restrictive or controlling or a negative thing uh, religious communities are helpful see how you go see where you go give give it a shot and um, and once we've maybe uh, the, the things start to lull we'll, we'll come back together share some thoughts and move into q time Go for it. Like, uh, you going, you? going by the sounds of things Seems like there's, there's plenty of big big things to talk about and and range wide-ranging conversations along the way um we we normally run our um evening sessions from five thirty till to 7 so we're, we're getting towards the end of that time time flies when you kind of um you know break it up in different kinds of formats um so with the time remaining really it's an opportunity for you to pick up on anything that came up in the discussions in your smaller groups um or things that didn't get discussed as well that you'd like to raise um but to some extent whenever there's like a, a question and answer sort of Slot, you, you can always take it somewhere else entirely. There's something you know, like I'm here, I'm going to be here for the next five or ten minutes, so you can ask me what you want to ask me. Um, and uh, when we either hit seven o'clock or we run out of questions, I'll wrap us up in prayer and any final um comments from Cam. So, time is now yours. Feel free to fire away with any questions you have. Brady? um, it didn't
1: actually come up in our thing, but it was based off of something Christine uh-huh. was saying. Um, as Christians, how much should we be speaking into our culture or trying to change our culture uh, so that non-Christians are living with Christian laws?
0: Yeah yeah, that's a good question and it's a, it's a pretty common question, right to think through um, uh, yeah like uh, what, what, yeah, what's, in some ways you could say what's the Christian's role relationship to politics and lawmaking and all that kind of stuff. Um, On one extreme of things is uh, is a verse that you can find in 1 Corinthians uh, which talks about the difference between uh, inside the Christian community and in the wider world. It's talking about um, how Christians should manage their own communities and if people aren't living consistent with their Christian profession um, then that should be dealt with within Christian communities. But then a contrast is made between that and the wider community. So here's the kind of... A simple and maybe oversimplified answer. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 12, um, the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside the church? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked person from among you. Um, and so he draws a contrast there between, like, there's a responsibility to manage the affairs of those who claim to be Christian, the Christian fellowship, but it's not my business to judge the rest of the world. In um, the next chapter, he says those who claim to be Christians and yet live lifestyles that aren't consistent with Christianity, um, you know, they, they, don't, they don't have a place. It, it, but he says it's not that um, we should have nothing to do with anybody who does wrong, because if we had to do that, we'd have to leave the world. You know, so you can't be somehow purifying yourself completely from anyone you think does anything evil, because you just have to completely withdraw from the wider society entirely. So, so that's, that's a simple answer, and there's a lot of truth in that answer. And there's a lot of truth that brings a lot of good um, to the world by that answer. That you go, look, I'm, I'm going to believe different things than you. I'm going to have different moral priorities than you. Uh, we still have to live together. Um, and so let's figure out how we can live together while we're here. I'll expect there to be evil and false beliefs and lies and all that. And so I just I need to be realistic about that. Um, and particularly for a Christian, the thing they want, first of all and most of all, is for someone to come to know their God. And they wouldn't want to so fixate on fixing this or that issue of behaviour, you know, whatever. Someone, when they hit their finger, uses God or Christ as a, as a kind of an exclamation. You don't want to so fix that that the person never actually comes to know God and love Christ and so on, mm. you know. You, so you want to, if you just you like, pick your battles and be realistic and... Um, and all those kinds of things. However, it's not quite that simple, is it? Because we, part of living with other people and loving other people is, um, is caring about what's good and right and true. If you see something, you should say something. If, um, if, if you don't call out small examples of sexism or racism, then aren't you being complicit in a sexist and racist community? Um, if somebody's practices of a gambling addiction or a drug addiction um, is having a destructive ripple effects on on their wife or their husband or their partner or their kids or their extended... You know, do you never say anything? If there's a toxic boss in a workplace, do you just tolerate it and keep your head down? If there's a government that's oppressive uh, of a minority group or of, you know, whatever, you know, do, do you say nothing? Do you see what I mean? Mm. So suddenly there comes this point when you go, well, actually, there's also something that's not expecting others to just do what we do as Christians, but it's actually all humans, I think, to some extent, want to encourage that um, you know, uh, goodness and rightness and truth in the wider community. Um, and, uh, and there's also a sense in which we would think that there are certain things that will actually, um, you know, if, if what God says is good for the way the world is, there'll be certain things that will be positive for a community if you protect those things other thing. So an, int- an interesting uh, kind of example of that is the ebb and flows with discussions around things like pornography. At, you know, at, uh, at a certain point, people were saying uh, pornography isn't a problem, it's a great thing, it's freedom, it's freedom of speech, it's being comfortable with your body, there should be no restrictions on that kind of thing. Interestingly, now, there's a lot more people, not necessarily religious, not necessarily, you know, wowser-ish, who are speaking out about the problems with pornography addiction and the abuses that can go on in the pornography industry, the effect that it has then on real-life sexual relationships of people if they bring what's normalised in pornography into their relationships and issues of consent and abuse and degradation all sorts of things, right? Or even just unrealistic standards of one kind or another. So, so that's an example where something that was seen to be a fuddy-duddy Christians-imposing-their-values thing has actually, in another season of culture, been seen to actually, you know, act, be about what's good for people. You know that what Christians cared about was also actually what's good for people as well. So it's a, it's an interesting one like that. So what does that mean in practice? That means um, what things we stand on and and how much we stand on them requires a whole lot of wisdom and realism about the culture we're in. What what battles will be successful. Um, as well as, I guess, arguing for laws that are, um, are realistically enforceable, that don't have um, bad accidental after-effects of one kind or another, yeah? So I guess that's the thing we need to think through, is that we might go, I believe that's wrong, but does it need a law? So when uh, homosexuality was decriminalised in Tasmania, I understand that there are a lot of Christians and Christian ministers who are perfectly supportive of that because they said we believe, you know, these are conservative Christians who say we believe that Christianity doesn't endorse homosexual sexual practice, but we also don't think that we need a law about it, you know, and so that was something where there's a difference then between what's in law and what's, do you see what I mean? So, so, um, so it's thinking through those things to go, just because I think something's right and wrong, doesn't need to be a law about it. What should the law be, you know, and so, so the discussions around how you manage Divorce can be one that you might think marriage is good, but exactly what laws you create could have negative effects. And so that's another complicated issue. Not a long answer, but I guess that's the nature of it. Yeah. Other questions?
1: I just had an observation yeah. about the, the harmful issue um, so I read the local paper every day. Sorry, Sorry to hear that. Um, <laughs> no, no I, I think just a joke. I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's actually good to know what the older generation who make decisions yeah. that implement and educate everyone else um, what, they're, what they're thinking. And the, the thing that's just been in the paper is that there's very little about church sexual abuse these days it's mainly in other areas so there's been a whole lot of it in AFL in swimming in gymnastics um, and so and in the schools in the state school system yeah so uh, it's just not quite the same argument it's not just that you just hear about it in the church it's now it began by hearing it in the church but now it's it's gone everywhere and there's it's, it's, it's just a different feel to that question um,
0: because it's everywhere. Yeah, and that's a helpful observation to say uh, it doesn't excuse the ways which yeah. Christians claiming to be Christians failed with their duty of care, didn't deal with things well in terms of the way they managed things, covered things up. All of that is still terrible to claim to be Christian and then do that. Um, but to say it was an exclusively Christian problem, it's. it's, it's It doesn't excuse, but it helps explain to realise this is a larger social issue which, sadly, Christians were swept up in far too much as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and so... And I suppose, historically, a lot of these other institutions were quite enmeshed with Christianity um, as well, weren't they? Like aid organisations and education organisations, yeah. Mm. Yeah,
1: it's just... It's just, I just... uh, I think that, that you can create a wrong impression just by looking at one thing. But yes. then we're, we're, and I think people are just being confronted because the journalists just report on what's happening. Yeah. I don't think they're particularly anti-Christian or you know, anti-AFL or yeah. anti-gymnastics. They just say, well, this is what's happening. And, um, yeah. So I'm, there's very... you know. The, um,
0: I mean, a similar argument could be about religion and wars. When you think about one of the great periods of secularisation in the 19th and 20th centuries were also extremely bloody periods where uh, nationalism and various kinds of fascist and communist ideologies caused immense violence and, and war and so on. It suggests that ideologies can be weaponized, whether religious or secular. Um, and even when you look back at some of the religious wars, like that arose out of the Reformation and so on, that was exactly the time when Europe was nation-forming as well. So it is a bit hard to know, is this actually a religious war or is this about France versus England and, and so on and so forth. Like, there's that, uh, that's, uh, that's a thing to bear in mind. So it's a similar kind of thing, isn't it, where you go, oh, it's not so much religions create violence necessarily, but humans, especially when there's a strong ideology, can use those ideologies for, for all sorts of terrible mm-hmm. things. And I suppose on that, you can ask the next question of going, Are there certain religions or certain ideologies that may lead a tendency towards, say, sexual abuse? You know, so like a totally... uh, Sex is a free thing with no attachments and no consequences. That could produce some of the abuses you see, for example, in sort of Hollywood and the entertainment industry where people aren't perhaps treating sex as a precious enough thing. Or, at the other extreme, when sex is too much of a not-spoken-about, taboo thing, like sometimes in churches, then it becomes this sort of... Uh, weirdly, humans go, Well, sex is this powerful force I can't control, and when it comes over me, you know, it's, you know I'm not to blame because I'm a sinner. That can happen at the other extreme as well, you know. So, you've got to ask what's a what, you know, and same with war. There might be certain religious ideas that can especially feed warmongering and violence, and others that can feed peacemaking. Um, so, you can also ask those questions too. Yeah, Dave. Um, could you maybe provide an example from your own life or someone close to you where the constraint of the Christian life has, in the end, profited? Yeah, okay, that's a good one. Okay, uh, let, let me give a few uh, uh, briefly. So, first one church going. Um, so, there's a, there is a ritual to the Christian life, a rhythm to it. You go to church on Sunday every week as much as you can, you know, and you, uh, you're around other people, you sing, you pray, you, you listen to someone, read the Bible and teach the Bible, you t- chat to people afterwards if you can. Uh, that builds a rhythm into your life and that builds in thinking deep things in your life. Um, it builds in community and a diverse community, not just of your mates, but the people who happen to go to your church and often of different generations, a little bit of shift in socioeconomic and, and, and ethnic factors and stuff. Um, prayerfulness, being shaped by God's word, yeah. So th- that's that's a discipline i formed in my life and a ritual i formed in my life. And ritual isn't all bad. There's not a, a sharp divide between um, uh, sincere, authentic, personal relationship, spontaneity, and formal, cold ritual. There's healthy ritual too, you know. So, so that's an example, going to church. I, I'm really glad that I go to church every week, more than, you know, in a range of ways, you know. Um, our second one is, is marriage, so there are challenges in married life, there are ups and downs, there are hard times and easier times, um, and I have thought of marriage and the promises of marriage as the, the strict rules that protect something valuable like a national park rather than a prison, mm. <laughs> something that locks you in, you know, so it's a positive bounding
1: mm. in a
0: good way, you know. Now, there are times when, when that boundedness can become destructive and, and, un- and unhealthy and someone needs to be freed from it, but that hasn't been my experience. It's been tough sometimes or mm. challenging, but I'm really glad for it. Mm. Um, uh, that, that's the second one. Um, and then a third one, uh, I suppose just thinking about good and evil, right and wrong, guilt, shame, forgiveness, all those things, yeah. uh, all of those things... I think a part of what helps you pursue what is good and right. So I, I guess I've had a, I've had times when I've felt unnecessarily guilty, or you know, or, or held myself to a standard that I, you know is an unrealistic standard. But there's been a lot of times when I've also been guilty because I've done the wrong thing, or I've felt ashamed because I did something shameful, you mm. know, or I, I felt striving towards something because it was noble. Mm. Um, and so I, I feel pressure around. I feel moral pressure, and I feel moral. And, you know, desire to be a good person be a good man um, and, and frustration and despair when I'm not um, and um, so yeah they're, they're challenges but I, I think that's made me someone who's had to then ask forgiveness of other people mm. say sorry, ask forgiveness mm. of God um, uh, be <laughs> respectful, uh, be understanding sympathetic of others when they let me down because I go well I, I fail too mm. they just fail in different yeah. ways yeah yeah. so that they're it's not as simple as to say authentic, free, follow your heart, be yourself, uh, no more shackles and repressed, controlled, restricted. That that's impossible. No, you can't be completely, perfectly free. You'll always be bound by things. Every ideology has its good days and its bad days, and your physical existence in space and time will have limitations and frustrations to it. There's no perfect freedom, um, and there's lots of healthy forms of restraints that that can be really good, so. um, You be yourself within the values that are good and right and true. You find how you do what is good and right and true. You're still you, and you find out how how to do you in the life that's handed you. And we're out of time. Feel free to stick around, discuss, chat, all that stuff. I'll pray and hand over to Ken. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this evening and the opportunity to hear from one another in a range of ways and think about these deep and important themes um, and be warned by things that aren't good and that are suffocating and be encouraged in uh, the many things that are good and uh, positive and and liberating, even in other ways they may um, may be about right and wrong and, and, and following your ways. So help us walk the talk to live these things out in our lives as well as be shaped by them and treasure them in our hearts. And we think again about Jesus, our good shepherd, Mm. who laid down his life for us to give us life to the full, to forgive us uh, for where we do wrong. Mm. Thank you for those good things. We thank you for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm. Over you, Cam. Thanks, Mike.